Welcome to the Landmark Podcast. I'm Jason Calhoun, pastor of Landmark Pentecostal Church in Texarkana, Texas. We encourage you to visit us on the web at landmarkupc.net for a schedule of services and upcoming events. We pray that you are blessed by the message today. Thank you again for listening. of Romans chapter number 9 and I want to read really just one verse there, verse 8 Romans chapter number 9 and verse 8 isn't it wonderful to feel the touch of God in this place today I don't ever want to take that for granted I don't want that to become commonplace with me But I am so thankful to feel the presence of the Lord. Verse 8, that is, They which are the children of the flesh, these are not the children of God. But the children of the promise are counted for the seed. I want you to look at that last half of this scripture that I've read to you says, but the children of the promise are counted for the seed. I just want to speak by the help of the Holy Ghost for the next few moments when the children are counted. When the children are counted. Let's lift up our hands to the Lord and let's pray for His blessing, His touch, His help in the remainder of this service. God, I'm asking, Lord, that you would move and that you would have your way, that you would touch our hearts and strengthen us and draw us closer to you. I pray that your word would come forth with anointing. We know it's already anointed, but I pray that you would anoint your messenger and all the ears of hearers that are in this building. We thank you, God, for this very opportunity to be in your house And I pray that you would work in our lives in a magnificent way. We thank you for it. In Jesus' name. Everybody say, in Jesus' name. Praise God. Thank you for standing. You may be seated. There are several places in the Scripture where final counts are given. In fact, going all the way back into the early chapters of the book of Genesis, the book of beginnings, And really so much of what we understand about the Word of God, we understand it because of the thoroughness. We understand it because of being able to look at the book of Genesis and seeing where everything springs from. And so in the book of Genesis, God spoke to a man by the name of Noah. And this man lived in a very wicked generation of people. And he spoke to him about building an ark because of the pending doom and judgment that was coming. It had never happened before, but God had told Noah that it was going to happen. And so he instructed him to build an ark. And he gave him specific instructions and a description of exactly how to build the ark, the details, the 
dimensions, just how long it was to be, how wide it was to be, how many floors. It was to have one door, one window. All of those details were laid out. And then he told Noah what kind of material to build it with. For all of the folks that think God isn't in the details, for all of the folks that think God isn't into specifics and he doesn't care and he's pretty much into generalities, all you need to do is read this account in the word of the Lord and you'll understand that God is into details and it is important that we follow the word of God and what God says all the way down to the crossing of the T and the dotting of an I. And he told him why he was to build this ark. It was for the saving of his household from the judgment that was coming to the world. And from the time that Noah received this word from God until the time that the fountains of the deep were unleashed and rain began to descend down upon the earth, we understand that it was 120 years. And it's my opinion, and that's all that it really is, but it's my opinion because the Bible says in the New Testament that Noah was a preacher of righteousness. So it's my opinion that he preached. I don't know exactly how many Folks came to hear Noah preach. I don't know if you ever had the luxury of preaching to a great group of people like I'm preaching to here today. And I don't know how attentive the audience was that he was preaching to. I don't know. It doesn't appear that they was too awfully receptive. I don't know how even persuaded some were. Obviously not persuaded enough, but I don't know if there was some that were teetering on the fence or some that perhaps could see a little kernel of maybe being persuaded by what he was saying, a kernel of truth, as it were, in what Noah was saying. Nevertheless, he was faithful to preach to them exactly what God had revealed to him. There's no record as to actually how many heard him. There's no record of how close they come to being persuaded to board the ark. There's really not a lot of details where all of that is concerned, but we do know that he preached, and he was a preacher of righteousness, and then in Luke the 17th chapter, as Jesus is teaching about the end time, he begins to compare the day that you and I are living in with the days of Noah and the days of Lot. And he says a very fascinating statement to me. He says, they did eat, they drank, they married wives, and they were given in marriage, note this, until the day that Noah entered into the ark and the flood came. Imagine that with me. That's astonishing to me that they continued with all the preaching that they had heard. They continued in their wickedness. They continued as an adulterous generation. They continued in their drunkenness and riotous living. They continued in their sinfulness and ungodliness until all the way down to the time that 
their doom came to them. Nothing moved them. Nothing seemed to change them. Nothing seemed to get across to them. And the Bible says in that same passage, Jesus making this statement also, he said, as it was in the days of Noah, so shall it be also in the days of the Son of Man. I'm going to tell you, their day is not unlike the day that you and I are living in. People have seen so many signs. All of the events that we've been talking about this morning that have happened over the last year, year and a half, you would have thought that would have been enough to convince people that the coming of the Lord is near. You would have thought that would have been enough to convince people that I need to get right with God. Anybody that has any knowledge of the Bible, anybody that has any knowledge of the things of God would have understood that this is a time for me to get serious about my relationship with God. But nevertheless, there seems to be some that continue. And I understand from reading this that there will be those that have intentions of coming to God and praying through and getting right with the Lord all the way down until that day comes when Jesus in the clouds of glory receives his church. But there's a lot of like I say, details that we don't have here, but one thing that we do know and we do have a record of, we know exactly what the final count was for those that were saved in Noah's generation. The Bible says that there were eight souls, including Noah, that was on that ark. And all I don't know what the population of the world was at that time, but everyone else was destroyed in the flood. It is important that we pay attention to the details. And it's important that we be included in the final count. Another final count that I read about in the scripture is in the book of Judges when I read the story, the fascinating story of Gideon. And how that they were confronted with the Midianites. And the Midianites were numbered, the scripture says, as the sands of the sea. In other words, they were beyond being able to be numbered. And God only knew how many of them that there actually were. But there was a great multitude that had surrounded Israel. And they were very fearful. And they had lived under the siege of these people on and off throughout many years, and in fact, it was so bad that when God first spoke to uh, Gideon through an angel, it was behind a wine press that he found him threshing wheat. In other words, he was just trying to get some rations to feed his family and get by. And the Lord spoke to him a very peculiar thing. He said, Gideon, thy mighty man of valor, And I can see old Gideon as he's looking around and saying, you know what, I didn't think that there was anybody else by the name of Gideon anywhere around here, but he certainly cannot be talking to me because I do not feel like a mighty man of valor or bravery. I I feel here I am hiding behind a wine press. I'm fearful for my life. 
I'm concerned that we're not going to make it. In fact, I'm trying to get a handful of food just to get by and feed my family for another day. And you're calling me a mighty man of valor. But aren't you thankful that God doesn't look at us as we are, but he sees our potential and sees what we can be and speaks to our future? And sometimes... uh, Uh, he has more faith in us than anyone else or we do ourselves. And when 32,000, to abbreviate this story, joined Gideon's army, it must have surprised him and also encouraged him a little bit and bolstered his faith that maybe with the right plan and the right strategy we could actually do something and we could be successful engaging this great army. But God knew that if I allowed Gideon to go down with 32,000 men and engage the Midianites, chances are he's going to take credit or they're going to take credit themselves. And so I'm going to make sure that when I give them the victory, that I get all the credit that I get all the glory for the battle being won. You know, I wonder sometimes how much more God could do for all of us if we would just learn how to give Him all the credit for it. And say, God, it wasn't because I prayed the prayer. It wasn't because I laid my hand on them. It wasn't because I was preaching or I was singing or I was involved with it. It was strictly because of you and your power, your glory. Amen. Your ability to move, your ability to deliver, your ability to work in someone's life. Oh, somebody give him a hand clap of praise right Sometimes I I shudder. Maybe I've even been guilty of it myself, unbeknownst, really realizing what what I was doing. But I prayed for them, I've heard people say, and and they they were healed. How how about just uh, that God healed them, that God worked in their life, that God, amen, was the one that stepped in and intervened in the situation. Amen. It didn't have much to do with us uh, other than just being obedient to God and open, amen, and yielded to Him. That's how the miracle transpires. That's how the work is done. And if we'll learn how to give Him praise and give Him glory and give Him the credit that He's due, He'll do a whole lot more for us. I'm going to tell you when God sends revival he's going to get the credit for it when God heals somebody he's going to get the credit for it when God works in somebody's life he's going to get the credit for it I can't raise a fly I can't heal a gnat but I know somebody that can and I know somebody that will here this morning oh clap your hands and let's give him a little praise hallelujah praise God Started out 32,000, and God said, you have too many. Gideon didn't like the sound of that, but he said, I, I know by now to be obedient to God. He said, you tell all those that are fearful and afraid to go home. And he went and notified them, if you're afraid, I know there's probably nobody here that's afraid. You haven't looked down there and seen them scurrying around like ants, the enemy that we're getting ready to go up against. You haven't seen all their weaponry and You have lived under their siege, I understand, for a long period of time. But you know, if you happen to be afraid, you can go home. And man, what a dust cloud. As they were churning up the dirt to get back 
home. And he was left with 10,000. 22,000. That's a pretty good departure. And he's trying to regroup, rocketing, reeling from all of that and thinking, you know what, maybe we can, I don't know, maybe, maybe with 10,000 we can still do something. And God whispers in his ear and says, you still have too many. Impossible, God. Have you ever argued with God? That's a losing proposition right there. You know, I know you're never supposed to question God, but I sure read a lot of places in the Bible where there was men that asked God questions. Job, for one, asked the Lord some questions. He didn't charge God foolishly, but he did ask it. And it would seem if anybody had a right to ask God some questions, it would be Job, right? But it didn't seem that he received any immediate answers. Because God doesn't have to explain himself. himself. He doesn't have to explain why he makes certain decisions and why he requires certain things. He's a sovereign God. And when we trust in him and understand that I, I may not understand the logic of why I'm facing what I'm facing or why I'm going through what I'm going through. But if I can just stay holding on to him, if I can just remain faithful to him, if I can just continue walking with him, everything will be okay. And I'm going to tell somebody here today, it may seem strange that you've had to face some of the things you've faced and go through some of the things that you've gone through and had the challenges in your life that you have. But be inspired by one thing here today, that if I can remain faithful to God and if I can continue walking with Him, all of the question marks and all of the, all the fears and all the concerns and all the wondering, God is going to wipe it away at one point or another. And I'm going to see victory and He's going to see me through because He's a friend. Amen. That is always faithful to be there, even to the end of the world. Oh, somebody give him some glory right now. Woo. The final count on this deal was 300 men. And I've told you before. These fellows were probably not the brightest, the most educated, because they obviously didn't know much about mathematics, because if they'd have looked, they'd have seen they were way outnumbered. But these were men that trusted God and were obedient to God. And that final test was is that they would go to the water brook, and he said, you tell all of them that get down and just stick their head in the water and drink it and are only concerned about themselves, you can't use them. But every one of them that takes their hand and, and cups the water and they lap it out of their hand, the water like a dog, you tell them that they can be used in this battle because they're showing a concern and a preparedness and a readiness. I'm going to tell you, if there ever was a time that we need to be Bible says that we need to be watching for the for them that look for him. He's going to come a second time. 
for those that are ready, for those that are prepared. This is not a time to be casual. This is not a time to be complacent. This is certainly not a time to be cold, but this is a time to be red hot for God. This is a time that you should be on fire. This is a time that you should be all in. This is a time you should be a hundred percent. Amen. This is a time if you've ever been faithful, you should be faithful. If there ever was a time you ought to be prayerful, you ought to be prayerful now. If there ever was a time that you stayed full of the Holy Ghost, it ought to be now. If there ever was a time that you sought to absorb everything that you possibly could, every time you came to the house of God, it is now. Praise God. 300. Puny, not need, alfalfa, hair sticking up. But that's what God said I'll use. Because God's going to get the credit. God's going to get the glory. Well, let's, let's move on up here where we're at today. When we talk about final counts, let's talk about counts in the church age. According to 1 Corinthians chapter 15, the Bible talks about Jesus' resurrection. And it seems, by reading this, that he appeared before his ascension unto 500 people. And we draw from many of these different areas of Scripture. We learn that at his ascension that he told them to stay in the city of Jerusalem and wait and tarry there until they received the promise. He told 500 of them that they needed to go and be in Jerusalem and not leave that place until they be endued with power. Until the promise came. Now, the scripture says that in the upper room there was 120 that actually made it there. So, we understand that somewhere along the way there was a pretty good group of people that didn't feel like it was important to be there. Or didn't take him at his word and did not understand the importance of being included in that number that gathered in the upper room and received the promise of the Holy Ghost. For whatever reason, either they didn't make it at all to Jerusalem or they left early before the Holy Ghost was poured out. But those that assembled in that upper room, there was 120 that was there and I begin to wonder about this and think about this and this group of people, and we know several of their names, and I, I thought, you know, if, if I could have stopped them on their way, what made you different, and why do you think that you had to go to Jerusalem? I mean, some of these people that are listed here in the first chapter of the book of Acts that were there in the upper room, it would appear to me that they could have made some type of an excuse within themselves or thought that I already have an in, and uh, it's probably not important for me to go. He probably wasn't talking specifically to me. Matter of fact, if I was to stop someone like Simon Peter on his way and, and ask him, why is it that you feel so necessary that you be in the upper room? Why is it that you are gathering there with that group of people? And why are you tearing for the promise? Why is it so important that you do that? Because after all, 
after all, you do understand that you are a part of his disciples. I mean, you're, you're one of the 12 that was originally chosen. And even beyond that, it appears to me that you are among three that got to go places that the other nine of those 12 disciples didn't get to go when it came time to go into the room where Jairus was. It was Peter, James, and John. When it got time for him to go a little further in the Garden of Gethsemane, it was Peter, James, and John. You were part of an inner circle there. It, It appears that if anybody could get by, after all, you're the water walker, Peter. After all, you're the one, amen, that has the keys to the kingdom. You had revelation that a lot of people didn't have. When you looked at him and said, uh, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. Uh, the Lord looked back to you and said, Flesh and blood has not revealed this to you. You got a revelation from heaven. You got something that other people don't have. Why would you think it's necessary for you to go to the upper room with all your credentials, with all you've got going for yourself, with all of your accolades and all of your accomplishments? Why would it be important for you? You're a disciple. You're a close follower of the Lord Jesus Christ. And I can hear Peter say, nowhere in the scripture does it say the disciples and followers would be counted, but it said the children of the promise are the ones that's going to be counted. So i got to get the promise of the Holy Ghost. If I'm going to be counted among those that are going to be saved in the end. Everything that I've done up until this point is looking to this day and this time when I would be filled with the gift of the Holy Ghost. If I'm going to be counted with the believers, I've got to get to that upper room and I've got to receive that wonderful gift of the Holy Ghost. Everything else is leading me to that point. And I'm going to tell you, it doesn't matter what your position is in life. It doesn't matter how high you ascend in this world. It doesn't matter what your last name is. It really doesn't matter how close you think you are to God right now. It doesn't matter what your church affiliation is. If you don't have the Holy Ghost, this Bible says that it's the children of promise that is going to receive and be a part of that final count. Come on, let's lift up our hands to the Lord and give Him praise together right now. Well, uh, I I would expect Peter to be pretty dogmatic about this. I'd expect, I mean, you know, after all, he's going to preach. He's he's the key holder. He's probably got understanding that others don't have. But uh, let's try another one. The Bible says that John, was a part of that group. Well, John, what makes you think you got to make any kind of effort? I mean, you among everybody seem like you for sure are the favorite. I mean, after all, we call you John the Beloved. You lean your head on the chest of the Lord. In fact, it seems like you're so close and you have such a relationship You were the only one of all the disciples. When they all forsook him and fled, you were that one lone faithful member that was there at the cross. 
Well, don't you think that you'd get a pass? Don't you think you would get an exemption? I mean, if anybody would, it looked like you would, John, because, I mean, you were one that stayed there at the foot of the cross. And I can hear old John say, you know, the cross is important. Matter of fact, it's central to everything. But he said, that is all, all leading me and pointing me to this day, the day of Pentecost. And the cross, while it's essential, essential, and while, amen, that sacrifice is imperative, and I couldn't get to this point without it, can I tell you that the cross points me to the resurrection, and the resurrection points me to this promise. And the Bible didn't say that if you stay at the cross, you'll be counted. But the Bible does say that children of the promise are going to be counted with the seed. Amen. And so I'm going to Jerusalem so that I can be endued with the promise of the Father. I'm not going to stop. There's a lot of people, that's where they want to stop. They don't want to go any further. They don't want to progress anymore. Amen. But I'm going to tell you, for everything that happened on the cross, everything that he paid for there is so that someday you can receive this precious gift of the Holy Ghost. The power of the cross leads you to the power of the Holy Ghost. Amen. You need this promise if you're going to be counted in the final count. If you're going to receive, amen, a number in this mighty army that we call the church, you're going to have to be in on this final count. And the Bible said the children of the promise are those that are going to be counted. Well, you know, maybe, maybe Simon Peter, maybe, maybe, maybe John, but I got one more. And if I can't get this one talked out of it, I, 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 I'm just going to give up. But the Bible says that Mary, the mother of Jesus, was there in that upper room. That said, and the women and Mary, the mother. Why was it so significant? Could have just said she was among all the women. It just could have listed the women, but it made specific mention of Mary being there. Mary, you're the most highly favored among women. You got something bestowed on you that even Sarah didn't have bestowed. You got something bestowed upon you that even Rebecca didn't have bestowed upon. You have something that Hannah and Esther and none of those that we talk about and look to in the Word of God, none of them had what you had. You were highly fit. You were the one that was the vessel that was chosen to give birth to the Messiah. If anybody ought to get a pass, you ought to get a pass. But the Bible says that Mary was among them. Because Mary would say, nowhere does it say that being a part of a family or a pedigree gets you in. But it says the children of the promise are going to be counted. <laughs> Hallelujah. Hallelujah. 
I'm going to tell you, your grandpappy may be a preacher. Your grandma may be a prayer warrior. Your family may have been in the church for generations. But I'm going to tell you, God only has first-generation saints because everybody has to be born into this thing. You don't inherit a relationship with God. The only way you can have a relationship with God is you got to come to the altar just like everybody else. you got to repent of your sins just like everybody else. you got to go to the waters of baptism just like everybody else. you got to use your heart to God and receive this wonderful gift of the Holy Ghost just like all of us. Amen. The way we get into the family of God is we don't inherit it. We don't, we don't, just, we don't just come in and sign a church roll card and get a relationship with God. But the way we know Him is because we have received this great promise of the Holy Ghost. Just because I'm part of a pedigree, just because generations ahead of me live for God, it doesn't mean anything. i got to have my own relationship with the Lord. The children of promise are going to be counted with the seed. Lift up your hands and let's give some praise. So some may wonder, some may wonder, and I'm hurrying. Some may wonder what, what activity was going on. While they were in that upper room. We know they were there for 10 days. And some people have wondered why did he send them there for 10 days to be in that upper room. Previous to the Holy Ghost being poured out. And what, what were they doing in that upper room? Well, Acts chapter 1 and verse 14 says they continued with one accord in prayer and in supplication. And when you get to praying, you get to searching your heart. And you, you get to lingering in the presence of the Lord. You can't get this just by coming down and giving a, a little five-second routine prayer. But when you come and you're hungry for God and, and you need the Lord to move in your life and you come to the altar and you really yield your heart to God, God begins to reveal things to you about yourself. As you begin to linger in the presence of the Lord, the more you realize it's just like Isaiah said, Woe is me, for I am a... Before that, you read the first five chapters of Isaiah, and he's pointing his finger at everybody else, says, Woe is them, and woe is them over there, and woe is those folks over there. But finally, he lingered long enough in the presence of the Lord that he finally said, uh, 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 Woe is me, I'm undone. I'm the one that needs to change. I'm the one that needs to pray through. I'm the one that needs to repent. I'm the one that needs to get right. I'm the one that needs the hand of God in my life. Woe is me. I'm going to tell you, when you linger in the presence of the Lord and you do a little praying and talking to God and spending time, the longer you pray, the less judgmental you'll be of somebody else. And you'll start seeing yourself. God will hold a mirror up in front of you and you'll begin to see, hey, I need God to move in my life. Hey, I need God to change me. There's some areas that I could do different. There's some things that I need to adjust. Woe is me. For I'm undone. And, and so we, we see that there were some things evidently that needed to be worked out before the whole. That's why he sent them there ahead of time. He knew in, in the sovereignty of God, he knew when the Holy Ghost was going to be poured out. It was going to be poured out on the day of Pentecost. That was pre-planned in the mind of God. That was the, the sovereign hand of God. He knew, but he sent them there 10 days earlier because there's some things that's got to be worked out of you before my spirit can abide in you. 
so, we know that, that Simon Peter was there. And just not too long before, he had betrayed the Lord. And maybe he's dealing with a little guilt. And he's got a little shame because of that. And, and wondering whether or not he can be used. And whether or not he could ever make anything in the kingdom of God. And maybe he forfeited his ability to be used of God. And that had to be worked out. We also know that James, the brother of Jesus. And I mentioned this on Easter Sunday. Was there. And there's evidence that we see in the word of God. That he was a skeptic. And he doubted whether or not there was any validity to the Lord's ministry after all he was raised with him around the carpenter shop and he wondered amen is he really what he says he is is he really the Messiah I remember him as a child and I remember growing up with him and I was so familiar with him but there was something that happened in the heart of James the brother of Jesus when uh, the resurrection took place he suddenly realized he, he, he knew at that moment that he's exactly who he's said he was. Amen. That there was something when we put him in that grave and, and we buried him and we put the stone over it. I thought that was it. But I see that what he claimed to be, he is. Amen. He is the Messiah. He is the resurrected one. And so the skepticism, amen, and the and maybe the feelings of, of having been a skeptic and wondering whether or not I can really be in on this deal. Maybe those things were plaguing his mind. That had to be taken care of. And, of course, there was Thomas that was there. He said, I won't believe unless I touch him, unless I put my hand in his nail prints and thrust my hand into the scar in his side. I, I can't believe doubt had entered into his mind and his heart. But Thomas... He had to work all of that out so that he could receive the gift of the Holy Ghost on the day of Pentecost. There was also a little competition that was going on there. A little disunity. I mean, you know, you got Barnabas or Barsabas and you had Matthias. And they were being voted on, essentially, to become a replacement for Judas in the apostleship. And one of them was going to be chosen. And one of them were obviously wasn't going to be chosen. And one of them was going to feel a little bit of rejection. And one of them was going to be included among the twelve. So maybe there was a little competition that had to be worked out there. But after these things were taken care of, and after these things were dealt with, in the hearts of all of these people that were gathered there in the upper room. The Bible says when the day of Pentecost was fully come. Amen. When the day of Pentecost was fully come. That like a rushing mighty wind it swept into that place and cloven tongues of fire set upon each of them. And they all, all began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit of God gave them the utterance. They were filled with the gift of the Holy Ghost. Amen. They experienced that promise that I've been preaching about here today. They experienced that power that comes with the promise of the Holy Ghost. I'm going to tell you, there is power when you get the Holy Ghost. There's power to overcome drug habits. There's power to overcome sinful urges and temptations. There's power to overcome Amen. Guilt and shame and whatever's happened to you in the past. There's power to overcome whatever it is that is fighting or resisting you this morning. 
Come on, stand with me. Let's lift up our hands to the Lord and give him praise. And I mean, I don't know really how long it lasted. But they got so intoxicated in the presence of the Lord, full of the Holy Ghost. They didn't care what anybody, I'm going to tell you, when you get the Holy Ghost, you don't really care what anybody thinks about you. What anybody has to say anymore. Pride is no longer an issue. The Bible said they come stumbling out of that upper room. And there were all kinds of observers that were there, and the Bible lists them. They mock them, the Bible says. They said, these men are drunk on new wine. And Peter, the Bible says, standing up, realizing this is my moment. This is why I've been called. He stood up, and the Bible says, that he made a proclamation. These are not drunken as you suppose. But this is that. And I heard somebody, and I, I understand what they was trying to say, and I'm not ridiculing, but I'd never say this. I've heard people say, if this is not that, I'll take this until that comes. Well, I understand what they're trying to say, but that leaves a little room for doubt that this isn't that. I'm just telling you, this is that which was spoken of all the way back there by the prophet Joel. Amen. This is exactly what we've been looking for. This is exactly what we've been waiting on. This is exactly what we come to Jerusalem to receive. This is exactly the promise that has been talked about and that he left us with and told us that we could receive. And I'm preaching to somebody that what we have here today, when you receive the wonderful gift of the Spirit of God, this is that. This is exactly what the Bible talks about. This is an experience that we find between the pages of these Bibles. Bible says that that 120 went up to 3,000 before the day was over. Read on a little further, it appears that 5,000 more were added. Pentecost is spreading like a prairie fire. And then I don't read where there's any more counting as far as numbers of people because it begins to spread, begins to go. In other words, this promise, when Peter got to preaching to those fellows, he said, I want you to understand, if you want this, this is how you do it. Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins. And you shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. For this promise is unto you, to your children, and all that are far off, even as many as the, you believe he's still calling folks, amen, even as many as the Lord, you wouldn't be here today if he wouldn't call, you understand it wasn't happenstance that you came in this place, but you're here because God dealt with you, you're here, you didn't just happen on this church, amen, it wasn't coincidence that you stepped in this, you're here because God dealt with you, you're here because God drew you, aren't you thankful that God cares enough to draw When the final count is taken, 
Bible tells me it's going to be the children of the promise. Not going to be children of the flesh. Not going to be those that are fulfilling the lust of the flesh. It's going to be children of the promise. They're going to be in on that count. That's the ones that's going to be counted. I wonder if there's anybody that would like to be a part of that number. I know there's a lot of folks here that already you consider yourself a part. You consider yourself saved. You consider yourself full of the Holy Ghost. But I want to tell you what. If there's anything that I want to be assured of, if there's anything that there needs to be certainty attached to, it ought to be what we're talking about here today. If there's anything that we need to make, the Bible said make your calling and election sure. There's some certainty that you can feel about this. We used to sing a song, I know I'm saved, and I'm so glad about it. I know I'm saved. I'm going to tell you, we need to know. In this world we're living in today, there doesn't need to be any question marks left in our minds. And if you're uncertain, you can can know today. That goes for every person in this place. It doesn't matter how long you've been associated with the church. It doesn't matter how long you've been around. You can know. I wouldn't want to leave here today without knowing. And I'm going to open these altars today, and it's going to be a little different. But I just want everybody that would willingly come to this altar to come in as close as you can around this front. If you don't feel comfortable, I understand. But I'd like if you would come in around this altar. Make your way to this front. Hallelujah. Praise God. If you notice a guest nearby you, if you notice somebody that needs the Holy Ghost nearby you, I want you to be sensitive. I want you to be open to help them. Instruct them. Pray with them. Come on, we all have to come the same way. There's only one way to get in on this count. There's only one way to get in on this number. Hallelujah. Come on, come in close. Come in close. Let's don't leave a big gap up here. Let's come in close. Hallelujah. 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 Come on, stretch your hands towards the Lord. I want to be sure. There's some of us in this place. It's been a long time since you prayed through. You need to be sure. Amen. It's been a long time since you prayed until you spoke in tongues. You need to be sure. Been a long time since you prayed until you got the breakthrough. You can be sure today.